0: Morning, everyone. Good morning. I tell you what, it's good to see you. It's um, especially good to see if you are new to the church, like Paul said. Do come over at the end and have a have a coffee with me as well, because I'm going to be over there. It'd be nice to get to know you a little bit more. I want to um, say thank you to Simon and Ally while you're with us. These these two lovely people, married me and Em. Um, we did our marriage prep with you, if you remember, all those many many years ago, um, and Simon married us here in the Jubilee Room, so you're, you're very dear to us, and it's great to have you back, so um, you're staying now, all right, we've changed the, changed the locks on the doors. If you have your Bibles with you, can you turn to the book of, or the letter of, to the Colossians, please? New Testament, it goes, God's electric power company. Ephesians. That's it, Richard. You'll come to Colossians towards the end of the uh, New Testament, or halfway through, actually. So if I can ask you to turn there, that'd be fantastic. I'll let you know what we're doing. We have, as a church, been going through a series through this letter written to the Colossians Church. We've had about three weeks break so far Uh, while Paul Mann, who was just up on the stage here, who is our senior pastor, has been sharing with us the future vision for King's Church Hastings. So for the last three weeks we've been there. So if you haven't been with us, please download some of his messages, the three on the internet, because it will give you a flavour of where we're heading as a church. But this morning we find ourselves back into this series, Colossians, Live Your Life, it's entitled. And my title today, as it is, Behind me, beware of losing the real Jesus. I'm going to read from Colossians chapter 2, verse 1 to the end. So we've got a large chunk to read through. It will come up behind me. So if you haven't got your Bibles with you, don't worry. The words are behind me. So Colossians 2, verse 1. I want you to know, this is Paul writing... I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you, and for all those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me yet personally. My purpose, Paul's saying, my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, this is beautiful words, the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom... In Jesus Christ are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this, Paul's saying, I tell you this so that no one may may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit. And I delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. Rooted and built up, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Can you hear Paul's heart as he's reading, as he's writing this? See to it, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and on the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you've been given the fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised in putting off the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but a circumcision done by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him, who raised him, Jesus from the dead. Listen to these words. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away. Where did he take it? Oh, it doesn't say that here, I'm just stopping briefly. Where did he take it? He took it away, nailing it to the cross. In doing so, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or what you drink, or in regard to the festivals, the new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you from the prize. Do you know what? Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He's lost connection with the head, talking about Jesus from whom all the body, the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows, as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of the world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish. Because they are based on human commands and teachings, such regulations indeed have an appearance... Paul's saying they have an appearance, what these guys are doing, have an appearance of wisdom, with their self-imposed worship, and their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value restraining in restraining sensual indulgence. Lord Jesus, I want to welcome you here. I thank you that you've powerfully met with us during our time of musical worship, and I pray that your word would not return to you void, as I know it cannot, because you say it in your word. I pray that you would change every life here, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I appreciate that. that was a large segment to read. Just want to give you a whistle-stop to a background. This letter was written by Paul. It was written by Paul at probably the same time he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Philemon. They think that it was during house arrest in Rome. Colossi was a very small yet diverse little town. I, and I, I kind of, as I was preparing for this, I, was, I had Hastings in my heart. Colossi was a very small, diverse town. All sorts of people coming in and out. It was in Asia Minor, which is now current-day Turkey. It's about 100 miles inland from Ephesus, this large church at Ephesus. Paul didn't start this church. It was started by a man called Epaphras. This is how Epaphras started it. He went to Ephesus, heard the gospel preached by Paul, received the gospel, got saved, went back to Colossae, planted a church. And then this message of Jesus spread. Although started well, problems arose. This is the whole point of the letter. Colossians is a corrective letter to challenge some of the things that were happening. This morning... I have three points that I'm going to hang everything on and, and bring through this text as faithfully as I can. They are warning, war. Warning, approach, and response. I want you to know that we're in a war. A very, very real war. There's a battle going on in the heavenly realms. It's a spiritual battle, and you know what? It all focuses in and rages around one central character across the whole of history Jesus Christ. Some deny him, some worship him, others add to him, some take away from him. This battle rages around this one central character Jesus. We're in the same war and battle that Paul was to keep Jesus central in the church, and in individuals' lives. So the title, Beware of Losing the Real Jesus. It's going to be the top of every slide. First one, warning. What was Paul warning the Colossians about? As I've said, Paul's purpose for writing this letter is to steer this church back on track. They were dangerously wandering away. People had started messing about with Jesus. They were either adding stuff to him or taking attributes away from him. I'm going to unpack some of that in a moment. Paul knew that to do this, to either add to Jesus or take away from him, it watered down the gospel, it undermined Jesus, and it would kill the church. That was in Paul's heart. You remember Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely. Paul knows to undermine Jesus, to water down the gospel would kill the church. Because Jesus would no longer be prominent. He'd no longer be front and centre. He'd just be like an add-on. So I'm chucking it out first off this morning. Is Jesus front and centre in your life? Or is he just an attachment? Do you carry around a plastic Jesus? you pull him out when you need him? Do you worship him front and centre? Is he your all in all? These are some of the issues that they face. Verse 8, Paul says, hollow and deceptive philosophies based on human tradition, which included a belief in elemental spirits. I guess something similar to the pagan or New Age beliefs we have today. The spirit of the earth, wind, and fire. Now, I'm not talking about the group, <laughs> although they're pretty good. But you, you get this from this New Age. There's there's lesser spirits that control the earth, the wind, the fire, the tree, the river. New Age paganism. Hollow and deceptive philosophies that will hold us captive and started to hold this church captive based on human tradition and human teaching. The next one, ceremonialism. Easy for me to say. Chapter 2, 16 and 17, we see strict rules had come in. What they ate, what they drank, where do you go, what festivals do you attend, what are you drinking, how much should you drink, should you drink? We see it creeping into our culture today. The ceremonialism, what you eat, what you drink, the festivals, the day you observe, the Sabbath, was Sabbath made for man or was man made for the Sabbath? Circumcision, I'm not going to go into detail, I think many of you know what that is. But what it was required was to cut skin away from something. I'm going to give you a multiple choice option now. Was it A? Circumcision, okay? Jewish law was starting to attack and creep in again. The very law that Jesus, you see in Galatians say, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Why then? Are you yoking yourselves with a yoke of slavery? Circumcision. Jesus circumcises the heart. We see that. I've just read it. Why do you follow circumcision done by the hands of men rather than circumcision done by Christ? It's about getting a new heart. That Jesus cuts away this heart of stone that I once had and he carves in this beautiful new heart of flesh. Have you got that heart of flesh? Then we see angel worship. Chapter 218, again, new age spiritualism of our day. These guardian angels, these angels that people have hanging in their cars, and it's subtle, but it's dangerous. There's nowhere in the Bible that we are commanded to worship the angels. We worship the one that formed the angels. We worship the one that commands the angels. Angel worship. Gnosticism creeped in. That means there's a group of people that felt they had a secret knowledge. I've I've attained something secret. A special knowledge. A a higher enlightenment. A secret knowledge. Jesus is saying, Paul says here, everything you need is found in Christ. He is the secret knowledge. He is God's knowledge. In him, in Jesus, is all God's wisdom and knowledge we see this thing called asceticism. Which it means, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. What it basically boils down to is this. Deny yourselves all pleasure for a spiritual enlightenment. What a waste of God's creation. What a waste. We steward ourselves well, we live our lives well, we live under the boundaries that God's led us to live in. We don't deny ourselves pleasure. God formed pleasure and then the devaluing of Christ. That's how he was challenging, 2.9. Paul says, For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. What truth? So if you're here this morning, and you're wondering, what is this King's Church all about? This is what we're all about. In Jesus Christ is all of God's fullness. Mark Stibbe, a guy was on this platform a few weeks ago, and he said, basically boils down to this. God with skin on. In Jesus. Jesus is God with skin on. All of God's fullness is poured into Jesus. All they need is Jesus. Now, it's probably not as straightforward as bullet-pointed categories as I've put it. The fact of the matter is, things got very messy. Colossi had become a mess. All sorts of philosophies and traditions was getting clinged onto and merged into this Christian faith. All they ever needed was the grace and mercy found in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all they needed. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus says this, Matthew 7:13 and 14. Jesus' words: "Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And you know what? Many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Everything boils down. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus here is saying, enter through me, the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road of philosophy, ideas, culture, and it all leads to destruction outside of Jesus. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. So these were some of the warnings. Basically, everything had crept in. Different religions, philosophies, ideas, and it was starting to undermine Jesus. What was Paul's approach? Next point. What was Paul's technique? How did he handle this and what can we learn? Well, to help us, let's look back to the start of the letter. Colossians chapter 1. I love the way Paul handles this. We can learn a lot from him. Paul doesn't really get too caught up in the minutiae of detail. He does touch on everything, but he doesn't get caught up and distracted in the minutiae of it all. He just focuses on the greatness and the supremacy of Christ. In chapter 1, in many of your Bibles, it will say, the supremacy of Christ. With this steady stream of ideas and philosophies just blowing into the church from every different angle, he simply undermines them all, top-trumps them all. How? By elevating Jesus to his rightful place and position. As risen, exalted Lord and Saviour of the universe. Let's remind ourselves in chapter 115. Chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the exact imprint here on earth. Chapter 16: he's the creator of all things, of everything Jesus created. 117, he's a pre-existent, that means there was no beginning. There was no beginning to Jesus. The pre-existent sustainer, meaning he holds, he maintains, he keeps everything going. Of all things. Jesus is the head of the church. He's our boss. He's our Lord. He's our governor. All right? Jesus is the fullness of God. I've said that. And Jesus, Jesus is the reconciler of all things. Of all things. I speak for myself. I have been reconciled back to God through Jesus Christ. Not for myself so that no man can boast, but Jesus brought me back to God. And then in chapter 2, Paul nails them with the gospel. What Jesus achieved at the cross is absolutely stunning. We must never let it water down in our lives. He says, when you were dead in your sins, when you, John, were dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision, you still had that hard heart, you didn't have that new heart of flesh. God made you alive with Christ. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. All of our sins. Having cancelled the written code of its regulations, there was all sorts of written uh, code, regulations, guilt, condemnation over each and every one of us. And you know, Jesus took it all on himself, carried it to the cross where it was nailed there with him. This is the consequences of that. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You see, friends, to see Jesus in his full glory absolutely debunks everything else. Everything. He cannot be added to. He cannot be taken away from. All you need is Christ. That is what Paul is simply saying. All you need is Christ. He is totally and completely and utterly adequate for you in every way. That's what I want to say to you this morning. All you need is Christ. Yeah, but I'm, all you need is Christ. But did, all you need is Christ. He is totally and utterly and completely adequate for you and efficient for you and sufficient for you in every way. In every way. Paul's technique needs to be our technique. What are you going through? You've heard my brothers and sisters sharing this morning. What are you going through? His technique needs to be your technique. Are you going to exalt him? Are you going to elevate him to the highest place and position in your life? As Lord and Saviour? To take away or to add anything to is not only unbiblical, not Christianity, it is utter lunacy. Our response: this is our application. Spend a little time on this, just because we're going to dig in. I want you if you've got your Bibles in front of you, stay in chapter two, and can you now zone in on verses six and seven? I can hear the zoning in. I can hear it. Are you there? This is our application. So then, just as you received Christ, Paul is speaking into these waves of different doctrines and philosophies and ideas, and he says, so, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, as your Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith, just as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. We're going to break this apart. What does this mean? Think back to the day that you received Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. Not where you were, although that might be important, but think back to the day, what happened in you? How did you receive him? What was it like? Firstly, it was through faith. Just as you received Christ Jesus through faith. It wasn't you thought Jesus seemed right, It wasn't you thought you'd give Jesus a go. It wasn't that you thought, yeah, everything you've heard, I've heard, yeah, I'll I'll add him to my life. That kind of creeps in. Suddenly, Jesus is risen, exalted, Lord of all, right before you. Right? I'm not saying physically, but that's what happened in my life. I was just there was just me and Jesus. I had a choice to make. It was through faith. Our understanding of faith is so limited. I remember Simon preaching here once on faith, and I got something. You won't remember it, Simon, probably. But you did a great message on faith here once, what faith is and what what it isn't. And faith is being sure of what we hope for, sure and certain of what we do not see. That's what it says in Hebrews. We have put our sure, if you're here this morning, you know Jesus as your Lord. You've put your sure, certain, Confident trust in Jesus as your Lord. Sometimes that sounds a bit fuller than you've just put your faith in him. we have got to break these words up a little bit. Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace you've been saved. So it's all of God. It was all of God that I was saved. Through faith. So it's God's grace met me head on, exactly where I, where I was at. A stinking sinner, detached from him, rebellious in every way, lost, totally messed up and squiffy in every way. God's grace found me. God's grace nailed me and, and got hold of me and has never let me go. That was God's grace. Free gift. But there's something of my faith. My faith. I believe you. I believe you. God came and found me. He saved me. Through my faith of just saying, oh yes, I've just washed myself off, I'll stop swearing and I'll stop doing drugs and then you'll accept me. No. Through my faith in him being my Lord and Saviour, I was saved. He saved me. Secondly, so have this faith. Just hold that out here, wherever out here is, just here. Faith, right? To faith... Let's now add humility and repentance. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord through faith and humility and repentance. To put your faith and trust in Jesus requires humility, and it required you to repent. Humility to crush the pride that was in your life that thought you could do it your way. You needed to be humble to say, I need a saviour. I'm a stinking rotten sinner. I need a saviour. That takes a humble act, right? But you also need repentance. Not only am I a sinner, I need a saviour. I've got to turn to my saviour. So it doesn't stay like this. It doesn't stay, I'm in my mess and sin. Jesus has saved me. Thank you. I'm sorry. Yes, I want to accept you. I'm sorry for doing it my way. You don't then carry on your way. Repentance means... I'm going to leave my way. I'm debunking my way. And I'm turning to Jesus' way. That's what repentance means. We're saved through faith. We had to humble ourselves to say, Jesus, you're my saviour. And you had to repent from your ways to turn to him. I'm yet to meet a genuine believer that is not both humbled and repentant. When faced with the depth of their own sin, And the deep, deep love of their unconditional loving saviour. I'm yet to meet one. A genuine believer that is both humbled and repentant. So, that's the first part. Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. So, just as you received him through faith, humility, repentance. I can't do it on my own, Lord. I need you through every area of life. So then. That's how you continue to live. That's how you continue to walk in him. Every single day. It will mean continued faith. Continued, sure, certain hope. Sure, certain confident trust. Continued, day by day. We don't feel like it some mornings, do we? It will mean continued, active humility. Always seeking the lower seat. It will mean continued, active repentance, ongoing, turning from yourself. I feel myself doing that daily. How about you? When we continue to live like this, ongoing living in him, that's when we become rooted in, built up, strengthened, and the outwork is overflowing with thankfulness. It's about maturity, Christian maturity. That's what we're on the journey. We're all on the same journey. Becoming more like Christ as we stay close to Jesus. As we stay connected to Jesus. We become like him. I had a picture of a weightlifter. Similar to myself. um, Just not as buffed and big. Or chubby. I I hold it well. Um, I'll leave that there. I had a picture of a weightlifter. Yesterday, I was just going through my notes. How does a weightlifter get stronger? How do you, Mikey, you're boxing. How do you get better? Through training, right? Through training, through hard work, and you're a big guy. Through training and hard work. How does a weightlifter get stronger? How do their muscles develop? Repetitive actions, training, training, straining. You never see a weightlifter just chatting about their nectar points, do you? I wouldn't go to that gym, I'd be slightly freaked out by it. You see, weightlifters, with their focus, they're focused and they're sweating and they're grunting and they're dribbling and they're punching each other. They're the gyms I go to anyway. But they're in repetitive training mode. They're beating their bodies so they're obedient to what they want to achieve, right? We're told through scripture to beat our bodies. Careful. Careful we're told to go into training, strict training. This is how we root ourselves down. We're going to zone in even more now. Faith. How has your faith been tested and stretched? I know many of you, and I know what many of you have been through. How has your faith been stretched and tested? Let me share a personal example. Five five weeks ago, one of my dear friends was killed. On his, on his motorbike. And this has stretched and tested my faith. Not for, I want to be honest with you here. There wasn't a moment that I denied Christ, but my heart was heavy. And it continues to be heavy. But there's an undergirding of faith going on at the same time. The gospel is ever-present in my heart because I know how needy people are for it. Five weeks ago, my friend was killed. And this has been a test and a stretch on my life, my wife's life, my children. He was like a brother. But there's this undergirding that I know the Father is with me. And his grace is sufficient. He will see you through this. And I also know of a dear friend in this church. His wife was... Very, and he's getting better, very, very sick. And he has been an example to me. Because throughout it all, he says, I leave it in the hands who is judge of all. And, and many more things. But he has been a wonderful example. See, through suffering, through tough times, our faith is Tested and stretched. Look at a tree, a beautiful tree. How do they become beautiful? Because the winds, the rains come batting against it. They don't just sit in sunshine the whole time. It's wonderful. I felt we had a sunshine moment here this morning. But sometimes it's through the battering of life, okay, that our faith is deepened and it's developed and it's built up and it's strengthened. What about you? What's going on? Job, school, college, relationship, stress, anxiety, struggle, sickness, fear, what's going on? Are your roots? Are they running deep? Are they running deep? James one two James one two I felt the Father prepare my heart with this. I was freely just chucking it out over people. Consider it joy brothers when you face trials of many kinds, old oh, super spiritual sand here at times, just chucking it out, and I felt the Father was actually preparing my heart. Listen to this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. (laughs) Really? Because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance, develops perseverance. And perseverance, it must, it must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete Not lacking anything. Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And you know what? Perseverance must finish its work so you can be built up, mature, and complete, not lacking anything. There's also the good side, of course. When God's faithfulness is proved, our faith grows. Amen? You face that? The next bit, humility, I'm just going to whistle through. How is humility expressed in your life? How is humility expressed with you? Personally, again, I'm raw this morning. Personally, again, I feel this inner battle going on between pride and humility. Do you? Pride and humility... People say to me at times, oh, Sam, you're so humble. It's, a lot of the time, it's false humility. You're just battling. There's this battle going on. I want to pursue humility through the grace of God for the rest of my days. I want to pursue it through the grace of God. But there's a battle going on. There's a battle going on. So how is humility exercised and worked out with you? What areas do you need to, from today, root down in, strengthen yourself under, bed yourself down, how can you actively walk in humility? Who do you need to express humility to? Paul read it out earlier, I think somewhat spontaneously. Take my yoke upon you, Jesus said. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Beautiful characteristics of Jesus, and you will find rest for your souls. There's something about this humility that Christ gives us that we will find rest for our souls in. Are you learning from Jesus? Have you taken his yoke that is easy and light? Or are you carrying your own heavy rucksack full of rocks? Let go of it. Put on his yoke. Put on his burden, because it's easy and light. James 4, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Are you actively walking... In humility, Am I actively walking in humility? Repentance. Are you turning from yourself toward Jesus? Daily. Daily. So then, just as you received him as Lord, continue to live in him as Lord. Repentance is not something you do once. It's something you do very often. Repentance is something that we will do throughout our lives. The Holy Spirit stirs things up in us. And it's down to us to say, yes boss, I'll deal with that. I will now, I'm going this way, the Holy Spirit convicts you, it's not like that. It's a convicting in the heart and then you say, "I've, I've missed you, I've missed you, I've been way off beam, I've been going that way and that way. I'm back with you Jesus, sorry, I'm coming back your way because I know your ways are good, pleasing and perfect for me. My ways aren't. Luke 8.3, produce fruit in your life, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So what is that looking like for you? What is God asking you to turn from? Is it anger? Is it rage? Is it bitterness? Is it unforgiveness? Is it sin? Is it sexual sin? Is it gossip? Is it slander? Hey, whatever the Holy Spirit's doing on you and in you right now, respond to him. Respond to him. This is where we finish. Thankfulness. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, in him. Rooted, built up and strengthened in the faith, just as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. As we follow him in true faith, humility and repentance, we will grow in these godly attributes. The natural outworking of this will be gratitude and thanksgiving. I know for me, I am miserable outside of Jesus. I am an absolute doofus outside of Jesus. Inside of Jesus, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Peter, when I got up to preach this morning, he said to me, remember you've got a heart of a lion, not a butterfly. I said, thank you brother. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. There's a gratitude in our hearts when we know what he's done. The evidence, the fruit is being connected to him. There's nothing worse, hope you'll agree, than a grumpy old miserable Christian. Nothing worse. I want to get away from them sort of people. Seriously. Grumpy, miserable old Christians? What on earth is that about? So, yeah, Digger's one of them, all right? (laughs) For all those that are listening via the internet, (laughs) there's nothing worse, seriously. I say this because me and Digger are good friends, maybe. Um, But there is nothing worse. There is is worse, but it's pretty awful being around miserable Christians. So, thankfulness, is it active in your life? 2 Corinthians 9.15 says this, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Can you describe the gift that he's given you? Try. Go on right now. Say a word. That's going to describe what he's done for you. Thank you. That doesn't cut it. Indescribable. That's why we're thankful, because he's a great gift of salvation. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus... As your Lord, friend, church, continue to live in him as your Lord through faith, humility, repentance, continued connection with him. In John's Gospel, John says, I am the vine, you are the branches. I am the vine, you are the branches, Jesus says. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you'll bear much fruit behind me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And this is what our lives need to look like. Liz, if we've still got them. Look at those. A juicy bunch of grapes. And the next one? You can almost smell those, can't you? Tomatoes on a vine. Have you ever smelled a tomato that's come off a vine? They are sweet. They smell so pungent. They're, they're beautiful. This is what we're to look like. I, know I don't want to rubbish it, but that's what you, my dear friends, need to look like. Ripe, plump, juicy, <laughs> squidgy, bearing good fruit. They... I didn't get bad fruit, that looks like good fruit, right? Imagine them when they're all maggot-infested, and, and I was going to bring a twig. When, when something's separated from that, it dies, because it's just left on its own, with no life, no nutrients. So it's about being rooted, strengthened, built up into the vine, the true vine that is Jesus, sucking up all his nutrients into our lives, which overflows gratitude and thankfulness. So as Paul spoke into the Colossian church, I want to boldly speak into us today. With many challenges, philosophies, heartaches, pains, ideas, cultures that will look to knock us off track, where do you find yourself this morning? In and around and amongst it all, beware of losing the real Jesus by staying connected The real Jesus. He is totally and completely and utterly adequate and enough and sufficient for you in every way. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness and your love and your goodness. I pray, Lord, for us as a church, for me and us as a church, that we would be connected to the vine. Just as we've received you as Lord and Saviour, Lord Jesus, we choose to follow you as Lord and Saviour through faith, humility and repentance, ongoing, looking to you as our Saviour, looking to you, to the one that leads and guides us. Hallelujah, what a Saviour. Lord, you you gave everything for me. Lord, you gave everything for me. I'm going to sing. I'd like you to sing with me. It goes like this: If you know you're loved by the King, then sing. If you know you're loved by the King, then live for Him. Live for Him. Is that all right, Al? Just if you know you're loved by the King, then sing, sing, sing. If you know you're loved by the King, live for Him. Live for Him. If you know you're loved by the king, then sing, sing, sing. If you know you're loved by the king, then live for him, live for him.